You survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the Urban Shooter Podcast. This week on your favorite Righteous Podcast, some thoughts on how I keep it all together. Interview with Dr. Tantalo, Hunter Safety and Ethics. Widows and Estate Planning, you helped me on this one. Some thoughts about Philadelphia. Whatever happened to the city of brotherly love? Zombie Strike, Episode 22. All this, a little bit more, coming up next. Crossbreedholsters.com presents the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thank God for an expert. The weekly pro-gun variety show featuring the internationally known black man with a gun. Your friend and brother from a different mother. That's what I call a close encounter. Ken Blanchard. Love it. This is a star. You're going to love it. It's a classic. All right. Got you back. This is episode 156. Thank you for all the emails. Thank you for all the calls. Thank you for being a part of my life. What's going on with you and your world? Yeah? Well, here, I'm just trying to make things a little bit better. I've been doing a little self-inventory, checking on stuff, saying, you know what? This isn't as good as it could be. Let me make this better. So I've been bugging the heck out of uh, my main man, Joshua, at freemodemedia.com. And he's been tightening me up where I'm loose. So I got uh, one guy said, um, here's a compliment and a critique about your app. Um, You had this going wrong with it, and I couldn't read this really well. So I hit Joshua up with a whole bunch of requests, and bam, done. So now my app is a little bit more cleaner, and I'll keep on doing that to everything. Also, on UrbanShooterPodcast.com, I didn't like where their front page looked, because if you downloaded the app and went to their front website, you really couldn't see the episodes and all the links I mean, I was doing a lot of work that nobody even saw. So now you can see the episode show notes right on the front page and uh, little stuff like that. Just doing work in the background, trying to tighten up, make sure my links work. And um, the growth is growing. I mean, I'm just working out all over the place. My little bit on downrange TV is doing well. Uh, my friends at MLN.com showing me love. Meeting new people every day. This has been just a great time for me. I mean, really. And even though I kind of like buried my soul and told myself in my last show, that's part of my plan, actually. If I let you know that I'm not all that in a bag of chips, I'm just a regular dude that has overcome some obstacles that has or still learning and, uh, then I'll still be me if I make it big, you know? I don't want to be one of those guys with the sunglasses that uh, doesn't want to talk to the person they talked to last week or you forget who you are. I'm the guy who likes you, warts and all. If you crazy looking this week and I'm talking to you, then you should like my crazy A same time. You know what I'm saying? So it's that thing to keep me real, keep me where I'm at, grounded, real person that you can talk to. Again, thanks to all the people who took the time to email me, to talk to me, and just befriend me. Well, we're going to keep this one kind of short. 
but it's still action-packed, and it even rolls a little different. If you're ready, let's make it happen. Welcome to episode 156 of the Urban Shooter Podcast. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Before I get too far, let me tell you, if you want to contact me, you can. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter where you are in the world, at ken at urbanshooterpodcast.com or blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. And I have a toll-free number that you can leave me a voicemail, a question or a comment at 888-772-6262. The Urban Shooter Podcast is sponsored in total by members of the Urban Shooter Association and crossbreedholsters.com. talk about something that's really an urban issue um, and that's youth violence for those in Pennsylvania my brothers in Philly and Pittsburgh just want to give you a quick shout out and let you know that I have been reading a lot of the stuff that's coming on the internet with people who are anti-gun and confused and using the deaths of so many young people and that whole issue of drugs and violence and hopelessness against the rights of gun owners. Whenever you see a sign that says gun violence, instead of fighting about the term, explain to them that it's really youth violence. What's the difference? The gun is the inanimate object and gun is not violent by itself. Unless we put the responsibility on a person. Now you go. See? You know where it's going. So let's change all the gun violence to youth violence. Because that's where it's at. When you have people, young people, without direction, without purpose, who have been raised by television and everything else except for proper parenting, who have no hope, who have no future, who have not tried to do anything for themselves, then... You become the Lord of the Flies and you imitate what you watch, what you play on video games. And you just do whatever, what's acceptable. And what's acceptable is not to be disrespected, not uh, played. And it leads to violence. An inordinate amount of violence, actually. One of my projects um, for the remainder of the year, sometime, I'm going to try to hit at least three or four big centers and talk to some people. I'm not sure how it's going to go over because the way I'm going to do it is not going to be with a lot of hype. I'm going right to the source, right to the streets, and it's going to be tough. But we'll see where it goes. I got to do something. You know how you were built for something and you're just not sure what it was? Well, this one, I think I'm built for it. A couple of years ago, I had a plan to make some music. Not me singing it, of course, but to find musicians, rappers, artists. Music that the kids would listen to. 
heck, that I listened to that had pro-gun positive messages and got their attention. The project was huge because, um, again, I got big, audacious, hairy goals, and I don't think I cannot do anything. But I ran out of money real quick when he got to the producers and the talent agents and all that stuff. But I did find this one guy who sounds like the late, great, notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls. I don't know if you know about that guy, but this dude is really good. He's out of North Carolina. Not even sure if he's still singing or rapping, but he did about four or five songs for me that I wanted to put on this album. And he did them like off the cuff and sent me like about 20 seconds of what it would be like. I'd give him the idea. I kind of wrote down some thoughts and knowing that the drama, the sadness, the murders, the horror that's in Philly is still going on and has been since 2007. Pretty prominent. I wanted a song to stop the violence, increase the peace. And then once I got their attention, then maybe I could talk to them. Here's a clip from the song that never was. You know, I try to tell them about the streets, man. You know, I got a lot of homies that's been lost out here, man. You know, it's gone for no reason, man. Well, I'm going to tell y'all a true story, though, man, for real. I'm going to tell y'all true stories, man. Come on. What happened to the city of brotherly love? Now everybody turn around and get their brother a slug. What happened to the city of brotherly love? We need to get rid of the pain and give my brothers a hug. This is supposed to be the home of the Liberty Bell. Same place where the justice and the liberty dwell. This is supposed to be the home of the Liberty Bell. But it seems like now we've been living in hell. Age 19, thugging, he was living his life. By the sword, he didn't know that he was paying the price. He was hustling, he was thugging, he was getting it right. Uh-huh. He was biting, pressing holes and rocking his ice. Straight dope boy, he knows what the corner's about. No question, he knows what marijuana's about. His family man kept his seat, especially when he brought his daughter out. Because he had more beef than a slaughterhouse. So he was in the green, the celebrated fiends. And he stacked more dough than ATM machines. The hater came and took his work on New Year's. I told him, calm down, or he'd be doing a few years. He rode on him, put a few in his hat. Got consecutive life sentences, he won't be back. I told him it was a better way to get his corner around. Instead of popping rounds, he should have put his gun down. What happened to the city of brotherly love? Now everybody turn around and get a brother a slug. What happened to the city of brotherly love? We need to get rid of the pain and give my brothers a hug. This is supposed to be the home of the Liberty Bell. Same place where the justice and the liberty dwell. This is supposed to be the home of the Liberty Bell. But it seems like now we're living in hell. I don't Sorry, just kind of ends just like that. But uh, see where I'm going? That's why I sell everything. That's why I'm hawking stuff. That's why I ask for donations. Because I couldn't do it on my own. But I'm going to go with what I got. And after I get some success stories behind me, then maybe it'll be a little bit more easier to raise some funds. To the brothers in Philly, holding it down. But to those who are struggling to fight for the right to keep and bear arms amongst hatred and discord and mistrust. I got a plan. Stay with me. What happened to the city of brotherly love? Now everybody turn around and get a brother a slug. 
What happened to the city of brotherly love? We need to get rid of the pain and give my brothers a hug. This is supposed to be the home of the Liberty Bell. Same place where the justice and the liberty dwell. This is supposed to be the home of the Liberty Bell. But it seems like now we've been living in hell. The Minister of Defense, the pastor of Paladins, Patriots, and Pistoleros will be right back after these commercials. This is Ken Blanchard of the Urban Shooter Podcast, GunPal.com. Send money to anyone with an email address. Easily pay for anything using the web. Sign up is free, quick, and easy. The wait is over. The next generation of payment processing is now. Gunpowder.com. Will he any good gun would do? And indeed, any good Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. Hi, this is Chris Knox of the Firearms Coalition. Thank you for listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Get the Neil Knox compilation, Neil Knox, The Gun Rights War, at neilknox.com. And now, back to the man who's packing more than a browning. All right, all right. One of the cool things that happened this week um, on my email list, if you are part of that group, they signed up on Black Man with a Gun or either on UrbanShooterPodcast.com. I have a a little block where you can sign up and be a part of my family email list. Well, this is just the case where it worked for me. I know for a fact that I'm limited. I mean, I don't know everything. I have, don't have endless bounds of knowledge, but if I use my family for resources, then we can all get a little further on. And I had a question posed to me because, you know, if you're known as the gun guy in your family, you're going to get hit with some stuff that's way out of your league. And luckily there's forums where you can get your information. But I thought I'd just exercise um, my email list and ask this question. Guy came up to me. He said, um, a friend of mine died and the widow, knowing I was a gun guy, wanted me to take the firearms inventory them and give a price for them and then try to sell them for her. Now, I thought that was really cool. And he said, it might be a good question for you to use on your show. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. So instead of just giving him an answer, I ask you and I got a great response. Um, and I actually learned a lot, which I'm so glad I didn't say anything for one. Um, Every state is different. Surprise, surprise, right? So if you were in one place, Virginia or Pennsylvania or Texas, for example, it might be as simple as an estate sale. There's a law rule that once you die, your property goes to your relatives, your nearest relatives, your wife, just like anything else, your car your sports, um, your clothes, all that stuff 
firearms are no different. But there are states like California where you cannot do that. And you got to know about where you are. Some places, even like Colorado, they have limits on the amount of firearms you can sell. And I got a couple of good tips for you. Before we get there, though, one thing you might want to do is if you don't have a will, get one and state what you want done with your firearms. You don't have to be 69, one leg and barely hanging on to life to want a will. If you are married, if you. Um, if you're anybody, man, you should just have a will just so that you can, you know, it won't matter once you're gone. Who gets your stuff because they're going to separate it and just use it anyway. But if you have any inkling that you want, maybe your long guns to go here, your handguns to go there, you might want to tell it. And that's where you put it in a will. Uh, okay. Now, if a person is not engaged in the business of selling guns, they usually can sell firearms without a federal license. But again, it depends on where you are. For example, if a gun collector dies and his widow does not want to maintain the collection, she is entitled to sell it, even if the collection were large. And David Koppel wrote on rights, in the sake of, for sake of argument, 50 guns. Her sale of the guns would not require a federal firearms license since she is just selling off inherited property and is not engaged in the business. Once the sale is over, she will not continue buying or selling guns. Now, the real point of complaining about this non-FFL private transaction at gun shows is to begin the campaign to outlaw all private firearm sales. And that's like the next big hurdle because in some places she can't do it. She'd have to get a permit. And then if the gun was a banned gun in that state, that, that wife might not even be able to sell or take ownership of her husband's firearm. It depends on what states you're in. In some places, she could purchase a table at a gun show and sell them there. And since she's not engaged in a firearms business, she doesn't need a firearms license. Now, if you were to do it for her, you could run into trouble. Again, depends where you are. Some of the recommendations are to use like a gun broker or one of those um, online auctions to sell them for you there. Or take them to your nearest FFL dealer and sell them on consignment. That way, you're covered. If done improperly, you could become a victim of some of our crazy gun laws. See, gun shows is defined by law as any locale in which 25 or more guns are offered for sale or three or more persons are gathered offering guns for sale. And there's a whole lot of different rules for a gun show than for a private estate sale. So, therefore, an estate sale where 25 or more guns were offered for sale would probably constitute a gun show under Colorado law. Colorado law requires that any transaction, including trades involving firearms, where any portion of the transaction takes place at a gun show, must include a background check performed by a licensed dealer. Ain't that something? Many folks needing to liquidate estate property nowadays are selling firearms to auction houses and letting them take care of the legal niceties. And this is from uh, from Will. And while I'm going through here, let me say that uh, Father Dan Began, my main man, 
really came through, man. He went through like about four or five different forums and dug up the information and sent me about seven, eight, nine pages of stuff, man. So that's to you there, Monsignor. I appreciate it, brother. So to sum it all up, number one, make sure you find out and have a provision for where your firearms are going after you leave out of here. And two, if somebody asks you to sell their firearms for them, make sure you can legally in your state of residence. And when you do so, there's a couple of things you might want to do. You might want to actually enlist the help of a federal firearms licensed dealer to sell them on consignment and just take you right out of the, the uh, equation. There's a little less working parts there. Um, or you can sell them online at auction arms and gunbroker.com and kls.com, I believe it is. And there's a new company coming out. Um, I believe I got the tip on that one too. Boy, that's going to be their main business is hand, handling those second party sales to keep it legit and to keep us out of trouble. So if you got any questions and you want to dig a little bit deeper, check out um, a couple of sites and ask that question around. There's a wealth of knowledge, but you don't know unless you ask somebody. And, and the nature of our business, the nature of our sport, that you can get in trouble being a good guy real easy and nobody will help you after the fact. So make sure you do some due diligence and check it out before you mess up. This is just like a, a tip, you know, just kind of get you ahead of the game. All right, cool. Our founding fathers came to America seeking freedom from tyranny. They purchased our freedom with their own blood. They established the greatest constitution the world has ever known. But now it's under attack like never before. Join the Second Amendment March to help us defend our right to keep and bear arms. Go to www.secondamendmentmarch.com and volunteer your help. Please donate if you can. Think about it. If America falls, where will your children live in freedom? This is Zombie Strike. Part 22. Skull Island, Southern Pacific, 15 February 2009. 1000 hours local. Countdown. One year. 11 months. 15 days. James Jim Collins silently urged the team to get moving. The zombie horde was reaching crush, the point where the sheer numbers of the horde would outweigh all the firepower, explosives, and fortifications that the defenders could muster. It was the point the smart fighters knew to retreat and maneuver. This team was about to get overrun and added to the population of undead that roamed Skull Island. Jim took a closer look at the team leader. The man was so busy shooting he wasn't watching the horde as a whole. It was time to intervene. Jim gave his horse a nudge. It had taken a couple of months, but Seminole was finally able to overcome its fear of the undead. Animals, like humans, ran away from the undead. Jim spent his recovery from his recent injuries training this horse. Jim walked Seminole behind a line of fighters and unslung his new long gun. He took aim at one zombie that seemed to be moving the fastest. The rifle boomed. The top half of the zombie's head vanished into mist 
as the 500 Magnum bullet vaporized brain and bone. The distinctive rapport of the rifle drew every team member's attention. They stopped firing and all turned to look at him. Jim's stomach plummeted. If he didn't get these folks out of here quick, the zombies would swarm them. Retreat through the woods, Jim ordered. Get to the secondary position. To punctuate his command, Jim casually worked the lever of his rifle and took down another zombie. The second gunshot galvanized the team. With practice fluidity, the team performed a fighting retreat. Satisfied that the team would make it to the next line of defenses, Jim took down another two zombies before riding back up the trail to the observation post. Jim could feel his horse's relief as the gap between them and the zombies opened. Jim was surprised to see Slim at the observation post as he rode up. Slim approached with a slow and careful stride that told Jim that the other man's wound was still very tender. Slim had been run through with the equivalent of a lance by giant, zombie strikes nemesis. Slim had nearly died. The very fact that he was up and moving was a testament to the power of modern medicine and the raw determination of Slim. Mr. Cortez sends his regards and asks that you join him at the command center, Slim said. Jim was sure that the man had been a British naval officer in his previous life. Slim sounded exactly like the characters out of a Horatio Hornblower. Who's going to watch the kids? Jim asked, nodding his head at the monitors. The team from the Texas Rangers had reached a second defensive position and were engaging the horde. They'd be fine for the moment, but they hadn't got the hang of realizing when Crush was happening. I believe Mr. Blanchard has tasked the gunny to take over the minding of the trainees, Slim answered. Those poor, poor trainees. Jim didn't envy them one bit. Go ahead and let them know I'm on my way, Jim said. Jim nudged the horse down the trail, back to the main compound. Seminole wanted to run, but Jim restrained him back to a canter. It wouldn't do either of them a lick of good if a wayward zombie surprised Seminole. It was a good way to get thrown from the saddle. Jim had just finished healing up from the last mission. The main compound was dominated by what was once Skull Island's hotel. Fifteen stories of luxury accommodations for guests and staff. There were still some guests, but the majority of the people on Skull Island belonged to Zombie Strike, a privately operated anti-zombie unit financed by the world's largest insurance firm. Jim rode through one of the gates and the 15-foot concrete walls. The stable was a haphazard affair. Jim and some of his teammates managed to slap it together out of spare building materials. It was functional, but the riot of colors and textures from its mismatched construction would never be anything but ugly. Seminole didn't seem to mind. The horse just cared that it was warm, zombie-free, and stocked with food. Jim left Seminole in the hands of the stable master, one of the maintenance techs who was pulling double duty. The command center was below the hotel. Actually, several stores below the hotel. It was the main nerve center of Zombie Strike's operations. The room was stuffed with roughly 20 intel analysts and their workstations. In the center of the room was a conference room where the operations team met. Mateo Cortez, the op team leader, was watching one of the large displays as Jim entered. Colin Dubois, who acted as Mateo's second-in-command, 
was lounging with his boots on the conference table. Jesse, Mateo's foster daughter and the team's sniper in training, was sitting quietly at the table, loudly ignoring the young man standing in the far corner. If Billy noticed her disdain, he wasn't showing it. He was concentrating on the same display Mateo was watching. The Steve, the team medic and resident lunatic, was typing away at a laptop. Jim, take a seat, Mateo said without turning around. We need to get started. What about Quentin and sport? Jim asked as he sat down. They're already en route, Colin said. We have a zombie outbreak in Wyoming, Mateo said. Jim felt a cold shock run through his spine. He felt paralyzed as Mateo continued talking. The zombies overrun a rest area on the interstate and are marching towards a town called Salem, Mateo said. Our people intercepted a report of some guy in all black who seemed to be leading the horde. Giant? Billy asked, extremely interested. The young man felt as if he had a personal score to settle with their enemy. Not from what the state trooper reported, Colin answered. With a deliberate ease, Colin swung his legs off the table and stood up. We may have ourselves a minion, mates. Jesse and Billy perked up at that bit of news. The Steve looked up from the laptop for a brief moment and promptly went back to typing. Jim felt a crushing terror. He could feel the karmic wheel starting to roll over him. Why couldn't the past just stay in the past? Well, it had been almost 20 years ago. Jim's rational mind reminded him. They probably weren't even looking for him anymore. Besides, it wasn't like he even looked like he did back then. Years of hard labor in the outdoors had done their damage on Jim. His black hair was thinning and gray. His face weathered and creased. Plus, he would be wearing armor. No one would know. Not even her. Mateo was staring at Jim with a concerned look. Jim quickly buried all of his fears and smiled at his team leader. The two looked at each other for an uncomfortable moment. Mateo broke eye contact to address the team. What did Mateo see in Jim's eyes for that brief moment? The possibilities rattled Jim. The only way to go now was forward. The U.S. government is sending its new anti-zombie unit to deal with the outbreak, Mateo said. Officially, we're not supposed to be there. Unofficially, we've been asked to assist. They want veterans in the field to make sure they avoid the mistakes we've already made. Quentin and Sport are acting as our liaison and keeping the feds out of our hair while we do our mission. Let me guess, Billy said, his thick Brooklyn accent giving his words a sarcastic slant. You guys want us to snatch the minion. Gold star for the young man, Colin said. We are wheels up in 20. That was the signal the meeting was over. The team dispersed to get their gear. Mateo grabbed Jim's elbow as he tried to leave. Is there anything you want to tell me? Mateo asked. One look at Mateo's face and Jim knew he could tell him everything without judgment. Mateo would probably even understand. No, Matt. Nothing at all. This concludes another installment of the narrated story Zombie Strike by Derek Ward. Join us next time for another exciting edition of the ongoing saga. This product is protected by copyright owned by Blanchard Studios. 
Kenneth Blanchard, and other individuals or entities. Any production, retransmission, republication, or any other use of part or audio found on this site is expressly prohibited unless prior written permission has been granted by Kenneth Blanchard or the appropriate copyright owner. All other rights reserved. Dr. Tantillo, this is Ken Blanchard. Welcome to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thanks. You're teaching a hunter safety class in Kansas. What's going on in Kansas? Uh, Kansas has had uh, ethics as part of their training for hunter ed instructors for about 15 years. And I teach ethics and philosophy at Cornell University and uh, have been involved with hunter education, teaching uh, hunter ethics myself for probably 10 or 12 years anyway. Uh, and that's what I'll be doing there. Hunter's Ethics. Give me yeah. a, a rundown. What, what, what's that? Well, it's, 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 <laughs> it can get complicated. A lot of times it uh, involves questions of technique. Uh, how much gun is too much gun? Should you use a bow and arrow and risk wounding an animal versus you know something with more power? Um, other times it has to do with uh, ideas of what's sporting or not sporting, uh, the idea of uh, a sense of fair play about hunting, giving the, the animal that you're hunting uh, you know, a fair chance at being able to uh, elude you. Um, you know, I always use the example, you know, hunting isn't shooting a cow through a barbed wire fence with a bazooka. Um, you know, that that is a thing it would be too easy to you know, challenge. There's no skill. So sometimes the questions of the ethics of hunting will will uh, involve some sense of the, the fair play and how much of a challenge it is. Okay. Are you an active hunter? Uh, yeah, I actually am. <laughs> in in New York State, uh, Ithaca, what, what are you right. hunting? White-tailed white uh, deer? Uh, I hunt deer, but my main passion is grouse hunting. I am a fanatic uh, bird hunter for uh, rough grouse, woodcock, and uh, I have a, an English setter. Um, I tend to use, you know, the old-fashioned side-by-side shotguns. Uh, oh, tra- but, uh, but I do the other hunting as well. I deer hunt, I, I duck hunt, I goose hunt. I, I try to do all of it if I can. Oh, you're doing the hunting like you see in the pictures, the paintings. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, you know, and that's another thing that I talk about in these hunter ed- education classes, that uh, different hunters will gravitate to different forms of hunting that, that they are attracted to. So I've got friends who are just sort of fanatic duck hunters, uh-huh. and they'll do duck hunting exactly right. They've got the calls, they've got, you know, court decoys, and, you know, they're, frankly, they're, they're purist about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not as quite as the purest duck hunting is grouse hunting, and when I'm deer hunting, it's about the meat. You know, I don't having a sense of style or doing it. You know, I mean, I do it legally and I do it the right way. But uh, uh, you know, if I see a deer at seven one on open day, you know, the phrase is it's brown at town. You know, I'm very much hunting for meat in the freezer. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah. How did you? How did the connection come between Kansas and New York State? Uh, I have done these uh, training workshops 
uh, again, for maybe about 12 years and have now done them, uh, you know, I've done them in Maryland, Delaware, Colorado, uh, Montana, Kansas had gone to a uh, workshop I did last year in Colorado, and, and they got interested in having me uh, do do some presentations with them. I've done some in Ontario, um, so I've really been all over the place, really. Uh, Orion, the Hunters Institute, I'm on the board of directors of Orion, and uh, in fact, this is a uh, workshop being put on by the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks, I believe that's the, so really it's their uh, they're hosting uh, me as a presenter. Uh, I think Orion has sent out the press release just to sort of get more of the, the word out about hunter ethics. Oh, okay. And I, rep- and I represent Orion at the same time, but it's really it's Kansas's program, uh, the state of Kansas. So your next presentation will be when? There you go. 26th yeah. to the 28th, Kansas right. Hunter Education Instructor Academy. And is there a fee for this? Uh, I'm not sure how Kansas runs it. I think the contact name there for Wayne Doyle uh, is there. I think the instructors pay a nominal fee. I think most states tend to fund their instructor training, uh, you know, 99%. The instructors themselves are volunteers. Uh-huh. So the people who will be attending the academy are hunter education instructors from all over the state of Kansas. And uh, they've got a central location. I believe it's a 4-H camp type situation and uh and it's a weekend event so people come and they stay overnight um and and a lot of states i think kansas as well uh treats it almost as their annual banquet they'll give out awards to uh, uh service awards you know um typically you've got instructors sometimes that have uh, taught hunter education for 40 years or 50 years and uh so these uh, these trainings also sort of serve as a recognition banquet which is kind of fun okay how long have you been hunting grouse? Uh, almost 20 years. <laughs> did, it was taught to you by your father? or No, believe it or not, I did not grow up hunting or in a hunting uh, family. Uh, I came to hunting as an adult. Uh, I had a background in uh, uh, competitive black powder shooting and got invited to go hunting just to watch, and I absolutely fell in love with it. it uh, you know, None of the stereotypes fit. It wasn't you know a bunch of hot belly, beer guzzling, highway sign shooting, yahoos, you know, the people that I met that hunted were all very thoughtful and reflective about it. And uh, then when I tried it, it just became a passion. So I'm hooked. Oh, okay. And yeah. then you're spreading that passion through education. I try. Yep. Yep. I occasionally take new hunters out or prospective hunters, and that's fun as well. So. Excellent, man. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Docs, thanks for your time, man. And um, Thank you. I'll make sure that I put the links on the next episode of the Urban Shooter Podcast. And best of luck to you, man. Thank you, Ken. Nice to talk to you. Likewise, bro. Have a good night. Yep. All right. This one's going to go a different direction. This one's a tip on how to keep it together. And it's just a suggestion, and it's kind of how I work things. Remember that Magnum Force, uh, I think it's the second Clint Eastwood movie where he played Harry Callahan? He said, man's got to know his limitations. I love that. That's how you keep it all together. And I get asked that question at least once a week by somebody. So if you don't mind, for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to share with you my system for keeping it all together. Because you know, sometimes 
I look at myself and go, if I only had a little bit more time, I could do some more stuff. I'm a full-time pastor of a small Baptist church in Washington, D.C. I work full-time, 40 hours a week plus sometimes. Um, Work for the government. I'm a contractor. I am also um, a writer and trying to get this podcast up to a media standard that delivers and entertains and educates and makes you happy on a weekly basis. I hate to disappoint Then you just sprinkle in there generously an amount of being a father and a husband and trying to be a good example of them both. So, how do you keep it all together? If you'll stay with me, I'll explain it. And if you really like it, I'll put it all together on a little paper that I can send it to you. It's my little ebook called Keeping It Together. It's only about 12 pages. Um, Not heavy reading, just uh, some stuff. Again, I give it to you free. If you're interested, just send me an email to ken at urbanshooterpodcast.com and I'll send it right to you. So, how do you keep it all together? Well, first you got to realize that the world doesn't revolve around you. And if you can accept that, then maybe you can accept that God is in control. And that's a big deal, actually, because it releases you from some burdens. Thirdly, that you're responsible for your actions or your inactions. That doesn't contradict each other either. You have free will. You can choose to fail. Next, you got to respect humanity. Doing so is more than just being nice. It's right. And finally, you realize that you're like a ship on a vast ocean. And I'll show you what I mean in the next piece of this. If you just keep with me, we'll work it out. The first piece is... Multitasking is a myth. If you try to do more than one thing at the same time, you either fail outright or do a poor job. I get a lot done because I don't try to multitask. I say it's a myth because though we have a million time saver devices, you cannot save time. It goes on no matter what you do and you can't save any that you don't use. To think that you can buy a fancy gizmo and you'll be able to do more is only conditional. It only works as well as you can program it, understand it, or make it do what it's capable of doing. Doing one task well and being able to move to the next as fast as you can is what you really want. If you can do that, then you can do several tasks in a day. That's about as close to multitasking as you can successfully do in reality. Noodle on this. If your goal is is to shoot six rounds into a target accurately, does it matter what firearm you use? Actually, yeah, but maybe not how you think. If you got a firearm that you cannot use, then what's the point? I remember being in a SWAT competition and I didn't want to use the Remington 870 pump shotgun that I had brought. Somebody gave me a high-speed Bernelli semi-automatic firearm, you know, shotgun. I had never practiced with the Bernelli. When I got to the three-gun stage, I had a failure to fire. My fingers got real fat and I couldn't find the release button on the Benelli. I had to shoot a 50 yard shot with my sidearm. Lost some points, hit the metal target. Bottom line is, if you haven't practiced with it, when it comes down to crunch time 
and you have to shoot something with six rounds, it would have been better to use the pump shotgun that I was familiar with, right? So let's look at the principles of marksmanship. Same thing. Stance, grip, sight, picture, sight alignment, trigger control, and recoil. There are no shortcuts. You have to do that through each attempt. Every task or shot takes the same amount of attention. Now you can get better at it and your time in between the task or shot decreases with your proficiency, but there's no shortcuts. And this applies to just about every mechanical thing you have to do in your life. All right, if you're still with me, here's some suggestions for your daily routine to keep it all together. Sometime within a 24-hour period, you're going to need to take some time to rest and to clear your head. And you're also going to need to make a list. Now, you can use paper, computer, or PDA to make it. Clearing your head means taking time to decompress. Don't do anything that adds stimuli. This is like a cool-down session for your body after workout. Don't do anything that requires thought. You're giving your brain a chance to recharge. That means don't read TV, don't watch TV, don't read, don't eat, don't listen to music unless it's just white noise or meditation kind of music. A good time to do this is before you get to bed. Wind down. You need to rest. Your mind won't shut down, but it needs to rest as much as your body. So you want to help it do that. Now here's that list part. The tactile function of writing does more than typing to stir your memory. So I'm a big advocate of using pen and paper still. Now, you can use a to-do list, a special notebook, your PDA, or whatever. Just be religious about it. Don't be neat. Thoughts do not come in order. Just put down what you want to accomplish on your list. And then after you get it out, prioritize. But don't analyze it too much or you'll get stuck. And this is known as a paralysis of analysis. You can spend a lot of time planning that you get nothing done. Once you get that done, then realize what's doable to do in one day, one week, or one month. Then take that and visualize what the end of each thing looks like. After you accomplish a task, recognize it by rejoicing a little bit and then move on. You got to celebrate little victories so that you can make the big one count. And then this next part is real philosophical. I believe we're all like boats on the water. And the water is life. In more ways than one, we operate in life on top of the water. Life is fluid. It's steady. It ebbs and flows. There are waves, tides, and all that. And we all have, and all are, different types of boats. Some of us have sails. Some are powered by different things. Christians should be solar. That's powered by the sun, S-O-N. But everybody else is either self-propelled or powered by something else. Usually hot air or the doctrine of somebody else. We're always following something. In addition to how you're powered is how you're made. How you design also determines how you navigate the waters or life. With watercraft, hull shapes matter. A flat hull means one thing and hulls with sharp angel or angles cut through the water a little faster, better, smoother. All right, so we're all little boats. We're all trying to be seaworthy. You know, boats are made to ride on this water, just like a Christian is called to be in the world, but not of the world. If you launch your boat out into the water, you don't really have a problem unless you start taking on too much water or too much of life. Then you sink. Meaning, it's okay to get your deck wet 
or even get hit by a wave because you will from time to time. Boats are made for that. Life will smack you with the same force as a wave, be it a summer storm or a tsunami. You're made for that. What you can't handle is when you start taking on too much water or too much of the world. You got to know how to cut some of the world out to get your tasks done. Now I just gave you a little micro sermon in there, but Socrates said it best. The unexamined life is not worth living. You're going to have to check yourself before you wreck yourself. So how do you keep it all together if you know you're going to have trouble? It's all conditional. If your boat is ship shape, you can make it. But then you'll need to have a vision, a dream, or a goal to go to the next step. First step is to make sure your boat is seaworthy. If you got some issues, you got some problems, then you can't even launch that bad boy. So you can't do new tasks. You can't overcome new things. You can't take over challenges if your boat, if your life, if you are a mess. So first, get you straight. Then visualize, conceptualize, authorize, and realize. Where do you want to go? Visualize. What does the end product look like? Conceptualize. Who do you need to make this happen? Authorize. And what do I need to make it happen? Realize. Keep it all together and to do better, you need a goal, a challenge, a mission, or a cause. Having a goal in mind will keep give you something to focus on when you get into trouble. If you focus on your problem, you'll lose a lot of energy bailing water instead of moving out of the storm. I've seen people in combat that didn't have a home to go to do suicidal things. I've seen people in the hospital without as much as a dog at home give up the will to live. I've seen young people without a purpose sink into depression that led to abuses and addictions. You need a goal, a vision, and a mission to live in this world. Without it, you're like driftwood tossed to and fro with the current. And you'll be one of those people that can't get out of the surf. Ephesians 4.14 says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. I didn't get this from being brilliant. I just made a lot of mistakes. All right. I want to give you some principles to remember. Number one, everything you do is equal. The size of your obstacle, challenge, or the length of your journey all begins with one step. Fear will make some things look bigger than others, and they're usually not as bad as it appears. It's our minds that make them bigger than they are. How do you eat an elephant or conquer a really big task? The answer to that age-old question is one bite at a time. Lao Tzu said the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Principle number two, you need a lot of small victories before you finish. You'll gain confidence in yourself and your ability to complete your task if you're rewarded with small victories. If you're stranding on an island, like in that movie Castaway with Don John Hanks, or Tom Hanks, and you were able to make your raft float, that's a big deal. Take everything you do in steps. Enjoy the steps that get you where you want to go as well as the trip. The second hurdle is to get off the island, but make sure that you can sustain your trip a few days at sea. Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. You have to make sure that you can actually get your ship into the water after you build it. You don't want to build your raft miles from the water. The keys here our preparation, patience, and perseverance. And the last principle is, failure is not final. You know, where there is no test, there is no testimony. 
You can be really hard on yourself when you fail on your first attempt. That's why you need those little victories to confirm you can make it. There is an active voice of doom present with anyone actually doing anything. I've heard well-meaning people say the most incredible hurtful things when you're trying to sail your boat. You don't have to be named Noah to be around toxic people. Sometimes the vision is just for you. Don't share it with everybody. All critique is not bad either. You have to filter the constructive with the destructive. All you have to do is persist. Take a break, breathe, and then get back to work once you have a clear head. Sometimes your data is wrong, your map is out of date, or your destination needs to change. That's okay. It's not over till you give up your last breath. Every day you get up is a new chance to get it right. Almost all the great inventions and machines of our day took years either to be invented or accepted. You might just be too early. So, be patient. Don't beat yourself up. And there's enough other people fighting to be first in line for that job. Dorothy Thompson said, Only when we are no longer afraid do we begin to live. The greatest enemy you're going to have is to overcome your fear. And it comes in many forms, but it's still just fear. There's the fear of commitment, the fear of failure, the fear of making the wrong decision. And there's their crippling fear of rejection that'll keep you on the couch, in your room, or in your bed too long. Fear is an emotional necessity and normal response to a perceived threat. It's basic and needs to help you survive, but we are really in that kind of danger. Our fear is not life-threatening, but we make it to be. Our troubles are really life and death, but we act like it is. Fear almost always relates to future events, such as worsening of a situation or continuation of a situation that we don't want. And then we allow it to build up in our minds when it really doesn't exist. Husbands that fear failing as men and don't do women's work often miss out on opportunity to spend quality time and create memories with their children. Fear creates single people, or fear causes single people to sit alone and think they're not good enough to date or find somebody. Fear causes them to waste time. And that's the ultimate crime. Time and tide wait for no man. Have you ever looked at how much time you actually have to accomplish things? Our days only have 24 hours in it. One hour is only 60 minutes long. And if you say at any part of the day that you're bored, you're wasting your time. You should be using some of that time to better yourself. Life is not a spectative sport, so get into it. A tree is a simple living thing that only has two choices, grow or die. A boat is safe at the dock, but that's not what it's made for. So sail on. Do you like Urban Shooter? Then send Ken an email at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Do you want to support the show and start something new? You can become a member of the new Urban Shooter Association for $4 a month and keep the mission going strong. Look for the USA link on the website. I'm going to take my own advice and do a little rest this weekend. Thank you for joining me again on the Urban Shooter Podcast. This was episode 156. Got some shout outs to uh, Chuck LG, new USA members, Omar. To David T, to my Navy family with Papa Yost, to the Aviator Brothers and Diego Garcia. Thanks, fellas. 
to the Marines of the 2-2 in Afghanistan, to Cary in Tidewater, where I will be going to speak eventually, just like I'm going to Philly, to Raymond, to Keith, Michael, Brother Schweitzer in Michigan, Gary, Jason, and Maurice, and a shout-out to the ladies, Nikki and Jasmine. My fraternal brother, Scott, thank you all for your emails. Thank you, Father Dan, for helping me out this week. Thank you for being a part of my life. You know, it's always the right time to do what's right. We got less than 40 days before the Second Amendment march. I hope you can make it. I really do. If you're in town that Sunday, I'll invite you to church. Let's pack that little spot out and make some history. A church full of pro-gun people. A beautiful thing. Until next week, this is your friend and brother from a different mother, Ken Blanchard. I love you. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Spring is coming. Keep smiling. Shalom, baby. Thank you for listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast. Ken would love to hear from you. Email him at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Talk to you next week. This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. Gunrightsradio.com.